No my hide in my key, quite simply politics. Welcome everyone, I'm your host Holly. Welcome back to another episode. Now, the guest that I have today is Mana Wahine. Absolutely 110%. I'm very, very proud to call her my friend. I've known her for quite some time and she is a woman of many talents. It is none other than the minister of a whole bunch of things and we will get to that, Barbara Edmonds. Welcome! Uh, um, yeah, you know, it's a, it's always an emotional thing when you get to sit down with your friends, um, emotional in lots of ways, but, um, <laughs> but also emotional when you get to sit down with them in a professional capacity. So thank you so much for the opportunity. So for everyone listening and watching, we have been laughing nonstop. Mm. So to even get this take, it took me about three takes to get this. So you're in for an interesting ride <laughs> with us both today. But buckle in, it's going to be a great one. First of all, you're the MP for Mana, right? Yep. So the Member of Parliament for Mana. Uh, Mana covers the area uh, Linden, which is just part of Tawa. Um, covers all of Porirua and then it sweeps up to the Kapiti coast, uh, crosses the railway lines and covers Paraparo Umu East. So I have been, um, I was elected to be the Member of Parliament in 2020. So a uh, huge honour. And I follow on the footsteps of Chris Farfoy, who used Aye. to be the MP. Kia ora. Do you cover Paraparo Umu Beach? Uh, no, so that's Otaki. But oh. I cover basically to the start of Paraparo Umu Beach. Guess who lives in Paraparo Umu Beach? Oh, who? My mato and my parents. Oh, <laughs> they need to like move five minutes yeah. away. We'll find them find an address. Actually, I, I won't contravene the legal commission rules. Mama and Papa Bina, you've been told. Yeah, maybe I can still door knock on their door yeah, and I... convince them for my Otaki friends. Yeah. And then you can say, I got gossip for you about your daughter. Now, what are you doing in Tamaki? What brings you up here, apart as well as being on our podcast um so i'm originally from tamaki mm. i was actually born and bred on auckland's north shore okay uh and glenfield yep. um so my parents came from samoa in 1976 All right. uh, they landed in ponsonby uh and as my father used to say a rat infested place and my dad's scared <laughs> of rats and verma yeah yeah but then, um, like the Pacific Tide, they moved to South Auckland, Aye. where the housing was more affordable, and to Chingford Crescent mm. in Mangele. And then um, my dad, who's the eldest of Grandpa's 19 kids, because Grandpa had two families, oh, <laughs> yeah, he's the only one that actually got educated past the age of 14, Aye. or four form. Wow. And so one day he basically said, no, um, I'm going to move my family to another part of the area of Auckland. Mm. Um, because at the time there was a little bit of trouble sort of stirring um, down south side. But um, so dad, they, through the capitalisation of family scheme benefits, mm -hmm. uh, which was a policy of the Walter Nash Labour government, Aye. they um, decided to build a house on Auckland's North Shore yeah. um, at double the price, though. So they could have done one for 20 grand, but they did one for 40 grand. You know, for inflation, it's quite expensive now. Aye. And um, that's where me and my brother, basically, and my two older siblings who were born in Samoa, mm. we raised, born and bred in yeah, Glenfield. Wow. Okay, so you're back here. You're in, 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 well, we're not in the heart of G-Field here, but, you know, you're in your hood. You're in yeah, your hood. yeah, I'm, I'm home in Tamaki Makoto. So um, 
My family have come with me, my Hi. children and my husband. They have been uh, with the grandparents in Ōtahahu, so my husband's side of the family. And I've basically been working up here Hi. because um, there is plenty of work here. Mm. Uh, Tamaki Makoto is the largest Pacific population in our country, so 70%. And um, as the Minister of Pacific Peoples, I need to be where, you know, where I need to be for our people. So I have had a lot of engagements over the last week. Do you love it, like, being a minister? I do. Yeah. Or do you Some days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll be real honest about that. You know, there are some days where it's really tough and it's – but what I love is like today I've just come from Te Pukinga um, Manukau Institute Technology down in Manukau. And, you know, one of the uh, the nursing directors uh, from Fitida down in Porirua, um, you know, she's basically talking about how I was meant to be a physiotherapist, so I started out doing a Bachelor of Health Science. Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, but didn't do so well in it and actually didn't enjoy it. And so uh, went and worked in the insurance industry for a couple of years and then went to law from there. But, um, you know. What a change. I know, huge What change. a change. Huge change. <laughs> We will talk about that. I know, we will. And uh, changing careers. <laughs> but um, basically the director was saying, you know, she was so glad that I hadn't become a physio mm. because I wouldn't be able to affect the change that yeah. I've managed to do. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what I love about mm. it is being able to to see the product of the, the decisions you make because mm. they're big decisions mm. and they are hard decisions. If this was easy, everybody would I, be doing it. So I, um, I do love it. What what is the hard part of it? Like, what is the part that you know when you think about it? Yeah, I love these parts of it, but then you could sort of not have those other parts. What are, what are some of those? Um, for me, it's really the hardest bit is knowing that you have the responsibility and the kaitiaki and the care mm. of so many people, mm. and and that ultimately you're gonna let people down mm. because you have to make a decision balancing things. Right. So that is hard on me, on a person that's kind of, um, I'm quite soft, <laughs> let's put it out there. <laughs> I, I'm kind of soft in the sense that, you know, um, I care. Aye. So that is the hardest bit for me, is that knowing that you, you do have to make a call. Yeah. Sometimes it is a hard one, sometimes it's a little bit easier. But once you make that call, you have to stand by it firmly. Mm. And there's a lot of pressure coming from different sides. So. I think, it, you know, ultimately if I had, you know, if you had a, like a magical money tree, it'd be awesome just to, you know, be like, you yeah. know. But, but ultimately um, there is a small pot of money. You have to be really strategic about where you put it. And and for me, again, as a as a Pacific person, as a Samoan woman, you know, I've, I know what pain is like to be in poverty. Mm. I know what the struggle has been like for my own family and for mm. me and my husband as we're bringing up our own family as well. So knowing that we are in a period where it's going to, it's quite tough for families, especially uh, economically. Um, you know, we are in a, a technical recession, yeah. even though our unemployment level is quite low. That's what's helping us at the moment. I know that um, as it gets a bit tougher and as sort of the demand has softened, which is what basically the Reserve Bank was trying to do, we're going to have some unemployment. Mm. And I know we know as Pacific people, it's our people that will be um, affected by it the mm. most. So keeping one eye on that and then one eye on something that's going to happen in October. Yeah, What's going to happen in October? Oh, it's not the Rugby World Cup, yeah. so that is happening. <laughs> I'm that saying is, it like that. I don't know. But yeah, you know. yeah, I know. <laughs> 
and it's not FIFA because FIFA is starting very soon. Uh, so definitely the election. So, um, you know, that that's something that you have to balance as both a minister, as a member of parliament, but also I'm still a mum and I'm still a wife and a daughter. So trying to balance uh, all those different elements. How many babies do you have? I have eight. Eight? Yep. So eight. <laughs> Dude, talk me through that. As somebody who has zero. <laughs> well, I, I won't talk you through all of it. Oh, no! <laughs> oh, my God! Okay, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, uh, so I've got eight babies. I... Uh, my youngest, Harmony, is 10. Yeah. And my eldest girl, Acacia, she's 19. Yeah. So basically just had them back to back. We calculated that if you had put my pregnancies in a row, <laughs> I would have been in the state of what they say is fecundity or pregnancy uh, for six years straight. No. Yeah, yeah. That's why my back is bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. my God. Um, what do your babies think of? Like, what is your what do your children think of uh, you being a minister? Um, they actually, to be honest, a couple of weeks ago, my eldest daughter came with me to an, an event right. and someone asked her that. It was like, oh, you know, what's it like for you with mum being a minister? Is it really different? And, and then she responded to them quite confidently. She goes, no, nothing's changed. Mm. <laughs> and the reason why my, my big girl said that is because, uh, when I actually got pregnant, I was in my second year of my law and arts degree. Right at the University of Auckland. And my husband and I made a really conscious decision that I would continue that right. because it was an investment in our whanau's future. So um, by the time I finished those two degrees, five and a half years later, I was pregnant with number five. Wow. Yeah. And then uh, we shifted down to Wellington because of work. Mm. Um, the GFC hit. Mm. And I was really fortunate that I'd uh, taken the option of a full-time role with Inland Revenue oh. so because we needed that income certainty. Right. Uh, so we had four blues babies, four hurricanes babies, Aye. and <laughs> is there all... division between? No, no. <laughs> so actually, if anything, you know, between the blues, the hurricanes, and Wana Pacifica and Drua, we're we're covered. <laughs> you got the war. I'm sorry to the Crusaders there. <laughs> um, but yeah, so what ultimately happened is that I became the sole income earner for a family of ten, mm. and there is nothing like the sweat that happens yeah. when you are the sole income earner and responsible for putting food on the table. So yeah, I did, I worked long hours, um, both as a policy analyst, um, then as a lawyer, mm -hmm. then uh, when I got a role in the beehive as a private sector, those are long hours and then even longer as mm -hmm. a ministerial uh, political advisor. Mm -hmm. And then kind of, you know, the career switch to becoming an MP and a minister. So for my children, I've always been the one that's been out working and then the beauty of it is that we made a really conscious decision that my husband would stay home mm. 15 years ago. So, you know, before Clark Gayford, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, there was Christopher Edmonds. Who, yeah, shout out to Christopher Edmonds. From Porirua, in Porirua, you know, a, a dad looking after eight children for the last 15 years. Aye. So, um, yeah, that's that's what's worked for our family. It doesn't work for everybody, but that's what worked for us. And, you know, we're now in many ways, um, seeing the benefits of yeah. that. Yeah. That's hard graph, man. Yeah, yeah, it is hard, but, you know, you just do what you got to do. And it's... Uh, Does he get any breaks? 
Is there any holidays? In Between there? the babies, yeah. <laughs> no, just in general. Like, no. I'm exhausted listening to it. So when I, yeah, when I was studying and when we had our first babies, um, it was tough financially. Aye. So my husband worked in a factory, in a timber factory, doing joinery. You know, he was kind of just above the minimum wage, so we had about eight dollars, and I remember that we had eight dollars in our hands, so every dollar counted. Yeah. And then um, it was through a boost in working for families mm. through the Helen Clark government, which is why, hence the red for me, right. um, that saw us go from eight dollars to a hundred dollars in the hand. That mm. was like a huge yeah. financial reprieve and oh. relief for our family, especially because I was studying. Um, so yeah, it's it's hard, but. In some ways, when you're used to poverty mm. and because I was brought up, uh, my dad brought us up on the domestic purposes benefit mm. because mum died when I was four. Mm. And so he was a widower with four kids under the age of uh, 11 and under and he was age 40. So he was young when he yeah. became a widower. And so he stopped work for 10 years so that he can make sure that we got to school, that we, you know, that he was supporting us through our school years. And then when I got to college, um, dad went and retrained to become a social worker where wow. he did it for over 20 years. Yeah. So um, we were always used to not having much. Mm. and But at the same time, it was quite a, even though my husband and I now have eight children, mm. we, we believe we live quite a simple life yep. in many ways. We don't necessarily have, um, you know, we have a tiny house, <laughs> a tiny house that's only 110 metres square <laughs> for a family of 10. Yeah. It's tiny. And, but it's just something that we've been used to is, yeah. is, you know, when you don't have much, basically you live kind of a simple life and appreciate things mm. as they land. And you can make them work. Like, it's oh, you hard totally can. Way. It's hard. Yeah. But we self-inflicted. We chose to yeah. have the eight children. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely self-inflicted. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's it's just it's a decision that I don't regret. Yeah. And, and now I love our kids are just hilarious. Yeah. You know, between mocking me and my husband <laughs> and then teaching us about life, um, they're all, you know, fiercely independent, yeah. fiercely loyal, you know, scrap within each other. But does, don't anyone else pick oh, on them, yeah. you know, just watch the bunch turn. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and, you know, our kids basically, I think they've got an awareness of both how me and my husband have always been on the same page around um, wanting to make sure that the community they lived in was supported so that other kids who mm. didn't have much, like we were as children, um, had safety nets around mm. them. So that's how we got involved in community stuff. And so our kids are, have that sort of value with them as well. Do any of them want to follow in your footsteps? Um, they haven't said it to my face. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't know. And um, Do any of them want to be lobbyists? <laughs> But um, yeah, I mean, maybe that's that's my failing as a mum, just actually know what their dreams and aspirations are. Oh, but um, I think we're pretty chill about it, yeah. to be honest. Um, you know, we just want to support them with whatever they they want to do. And you know, our big girl who has finished school, you know, she started um, a bachelor of commerce when she awesome. went out of school. Awesome, but then it was COVID, and oh, so she yeah. didn't like the online learning. Yeah. And so um, she's working now. And then I said to her, you know, as long as you're either working right. or you're volunteering, yeah. but you're not sitting at home yeah. doing nothing. So she's working at the moment and she'll find her feet yeah. in the same way that, you know, I started out doing physiotherapy, but became a lawyer yeah. and then became a minister. Now, yeah. let's talk about that. The law. Oh, yeah. The law. <laughs> talk me through that process of deciding I'm going to do law. 
and then I'm really gonna hone in on tax law. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it was kind of by chance. Oh, not no, it wasn't by chance. So I mean, so as a Pacific child, like kind of, it's sort of drilled in you into you from your parents, like you know, be a doctor, a lawyer, oh, yeah. really respectful jobs and stuff like that. And um, so when when physiotherapy didn't really work out for me, and I went to um, I went and worked for an insurance company for a couple of years, and then the insurance company restructured, and so um, they had moved they were moving our premises down to uh, Wellington, of all places, <laughs> um, and I wasn't ready to move, but I loved insurance. What I loved about insurance was the contract element of it, and it sounds really bad, but also finding the the ways in the contract to support people, you right. know, in quite devastating Not times. get out of it? No. I was, yeah. I wonder if anyone did any stats on it. It's me as a claims advisor yeah. and how many claims I paid out. Yeah. yeah. We can work on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it kind of, um, I enjoyed contract law. So, you know, when the restructure happened, I was like, oh, you know, clearly not being a doctor probably wouldn't work out because I didn't enjoy the physiotherapy course. I said, so, you know, apply to Auckland Uni go to law school so yeah so went out of the insurance industry went to law school um got pregnant in the second year of law school um I remember one of my in my last year um I was heavily pregnant Mm. um so March baby was due in March and yeah I basically went into labor during my I think it was healthcare law my healthcare law class at Auckland University and I and I was just like oh yeah sitting there full full term and just like oh yeah could feel this then I went into the um, cafeteria, which yeah. is Eden Crescent in Auckland Uni. Went to the cafeteria. My friends were with me, and they're like, you're right, bub? And I was like, mm, yeah, I think I might need to go to the hospital. <laughs> and basically, because um, my husband was working, my dad had to pick me up from the shore, took me home, and then I had baby um, in the early hours of that night. I had, yeah, I had my girl. Um, patients, so number um, patients is number four. We call her the centre of the family because she's Aww. number four. Um, but it basically, for me, it wasn't. I wasn't naturally uh, sort of what's the word drawn to tax. Yeah, it just happened to be one very particular um, tax class uh, where we were talking about. Actually, no, it was tax and Roman history because I did Roman history as part of my um, arts degree. Right, and. And where the two merged, and basically the Roman Empire was brought down by Emperor Justinian mm. because he overtaxed his people and they revolted. Oh. So when the, the fires happened, basically they had to rebuild uh, the Roman Empire and Emperor Justinian basically overtaxed them. Yeah. So for me, it was the, probably the first time, which was terrible, uh, the first time I was like really cognizant of um, the impact of tax. Yeah. You know, can't be too much, can't be too yeah. little, got to basically pay for the roads and the buildings. Yeah. So it was from there, um, by chance, I happened to be um, at a cafe, again, just um, by Eden Crescent, um, with my f- two friends, and then one of um, one of my friends' mutual friend came into the cafe, and she was like, "Oh, what are you doing here?" She goes, oh, "I'm just doing my masters of tax," and um, our good friend Sandy at the time, uh, who's now a good friend Sandy, she said, "Oh, you should apply for the policy group down in Inland Revenue because they're looking for graduates." And so um, me and my other friend, we applied. Um, I got the job, unfortunately, she did. <laughs> uh, and that was really the start of the tax career. And sort of as my time in, in land revenue, you know, went through through policy, through service delivery, 
um, basically got a real appreciation of mm. actually for, in my heart, for Pacific people and for those people who didn't have much money, how the tax system works mm. is actually how much they get in their pocket right. at the end of the day. Yeah. So um, that's kind of my, my interest for tax kind of grew. You know, I did things, uh, we look, you know, working for families, student loan policy, tax administration, interest and penalties. Um, I did some of the land rules, um, depreciation determinations. That was kind of my, my job through Inland Revenue and then managing a team that would do the national interpretation statements for how the country would apply different tax laws. Um, yeah, it was just something that, that grew on me. <laughs> oh, it's work. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's all right. It's not as boring. But ultimately, it comes back to it's it's what people get in their hand yeah. at the end of the day. So, And then I just moved to the Beehive to be become a private secretary where I met you. Yes, yes. And it was wonderful meeting you <laughs> on the fourth floor of the executive wing, you know. And, and I was still a neutral public servant at the time. Um, but then when Labour came in, then I switched to a political role yeah. and now I am a minister a couple of years later. <laughs> what, what was the, what was, what's the biggest difference that you had from being like a neutral public servant, you know, as the private secretary versus going into the political role? Cause I've only ever done the political role, right? Yeah. So I could not like, what was it like, you know, um, the thing, the good thing about tax is the majority of the tax work program that the government has, yeah. any government has, is actually generally the same. Right. Doesn't matter what color it is. Yeah. It's generally the same, except yeah. for some really big key features. You yeah. know, um, such as um, you know, when we came in, uh, when sorry, when Labor came in, it was um, GST on online goods. That was mm. one of the oh, new measures right. that came yeah. in. Yeah, yes. Yeah, it made my ASOS packages yeah, yeah. more. Yeah, sorry about that. But we also did the, the National also did the Netflix tax when I was working that's right, in the that's office. True. That's, yeah, the that's right, that's But you see, it didn't really, um, the work program doesn't change significantly yeah. except for some of the big ticket yeah. items, yeah. you know. And that's where, uh, when as a objective, neutral public servant, it was fine for me because I could work on, you know, I was working with Judith Collins and Michael Woodhouse. Mm. I was in their office. Yeah. And they were both wonderful people to work with. Yeah. About, and, you know, we could have robust debate. And um, especially with Judith's team, she had some um, really awesome advisors and a press set. You know, we could have robust debate mm. about how things are. But and ultimately, in the end, I knew my role was very clear. My job was to advise them. Yeah. And their job was to make the decision. Yeah. So then switching on when I became a political advisor, I actually, um, I not only had revenue, yeah. I had all of Stuart Nash's portfolios. So revenue, small business, um, police, fisheries, and serious fraud. Yeah. So I took on all those roles, learnt about um, those portfolios, learnt quite deeply about the five different portfolios and their, you know, the risk areas, the law. And it just... Um, it, it actually became a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, as a ministerial advisor, you, you have this huge umbrella look yeah. over the portfolios. You kind of have the politics and really politics. You know, when you think about politics, it comes from the Greek word poly, which is like people. Yeah. And that's ultimately what, what, it, what it is. Yeah. So I just got to be able to, to t think about how people react, how they, the consequences of changes and how people would advocate or lobby in some, mm. some respects. But it was, um, yeah, it was a really interesting shift and one that I, I really enjoyed. And that's where the lab, the values for me yeah. really came out, yeah. you know, because I would not only been doing working in the beehive. When you're a mum of lots of kids yeah. and you're a lawyer, 
um, basically, you know, I was on the school boards yep. for my kids. I was in the rugby club on the committee. I was doing pro bono work as yep. the lawyer there, um, doing judiciary hearings when some of the rugby players are naughty. <laughs> 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 trying to get them off some of their, um, you know, their penalties. But, um, you know, and, and if there wasn't a sports club, then, you know, me and my friends, we built a sports club. Yeah. We, you know, for TAG, where we went from 22 kids to 400 in about three years. TAG? So, TAG. Yeah, really? Yeah. yeah. That was what? our Raptors TAG club. What? Yeah, I know. But it's just the things that Talk you... Talk about bringing people with you. <laughs> but it's just kind of what you do, because yeah. people were hungry for the opportunity. Yeah. They just need someone to lead it and establish it. Yeah. So um, that was... It, it really fitted with, um, you know, my labour values really fitted mm. with what I was doing already in the community. Yeah. Do you see... Michael Woodhouse or Judah Collins oh, yeah, over there, and you're like, hey. still do, yeah, yeah, you know. Um, and Woody, it's quite funny because Woody, um, Michael Woodhouse, uh, he is the spokesperson for economic development. <laughs> so my first, you know, we, our first question in the house where he's asking me a question and I'm responding. You know, afterwards as we walked out the house, he goes, "Oh, that's quite fun sparring with you." And it's like just like the good old days, <laughs> you know. And and that's the thing with politics is there is a level of respect. Yeah. You know, we can spar in the house, but actually outside of it, we may we want the same thing. We just have a different pathway of yeah. getting there. And, and some things they would do, we wouldn't do. Some things we would do, they wouldn't do. Mm. But there is always always a level of respect. And, you know, Michael and Judith were both, um, they were great bosses to me. Mm. They knew that I had a large family. Um, and basically, you know, if I re they knew that if I really needed the time off, it's because I was asking, yeah. you know, it was the very last port of call yeah. when my husband was sick or something. Yeah. But um, but the same with Stuart. You know, I loved working for Stuart for those three years. Mm. It was a hard hard job, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. But um, it was really great, and, and that's ultimately for any minister, the team around them makes or breaks them. Yeah. Do you sometimes sit there and go like, "What a meteoric rise!" Like, do you feel? Because for me, that journey, and we we cross probably 2016, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. 2016, when yeah. I came in, yeah, yeah. 2015. Yeah, 2015, 2016, yeah. yeah. And it's like, you're a minister. Yeah, that's just, uh, the, yeah, that's a bit shocking. <laughs> when I was like, who's meteoric rise? <laughs> Yours! <laughs> I know. Oh my God! Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it is. And the, the, the thing that I'm really, really conscious of is making it sustainable. Yeah. You know, and um, not to lose myself mm. in it is to make sure I stay grounded. Yeah. I stay genuine and authentic because, man, you can't wear a mask nah. in this job. Nah. Uh, because once you put on a mask uh, and if for any reason it comes off, yeah. it's real obvious yeah. to people. Really obvious. Yeah. So, um, and I've, you know, again, being in the background and seeing how different ministers have operated in different ways, you can see... Uh, when the pressure's on, that's when the real mask, the real person comes through. So, um, don't really see it as a, a rise in this in mm. the respect. My, for me, it was just I re I came into Parliament. I wanted to be a really good backbench MP. I wanted to be a really good electorate MP, and that's what my mentor had helped me get to when mm. I made the decision to run. And it was because basically I felt like actually I started to get paid for what I was doing right. in my community anyway right. which was connecting people finding funding helping people with their problems mm. 
And so I, I felt really honoured that I yeah. could do that as part of my job. And then, yeah, you know, um, Chris Hipkins came in in January and I'm really proud of our team and how yeah. that transition happened. It was so smooth. Yeah. It was heartbreaking at the time yeah. because Jacinda was the only leader I knew. under Such that. a really shock. Yeah, it was, was a like, massive shock. Was it was a shock for all of us. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, how the team conducted themselves, you know, with with integrity, mm. um, with confidentiality, there was no knives. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. And then to see Chris come through and basically, for me, just put my head down, mm. do my job, mm. you know, and, and be a good person when I'm trying to do it. Yeah. Now, I'm going to let you have some of your tea because okay. I'm cognizant I've been just getting all the juice from you, making you talk and, you know, get, get your tea. tea. Um, now, one of the things that when you talked about what you were doing for your community, connecting people, standing up for them, advocating, that really, really drives me as a lobbyist. And one of the things people don't know is that I was always, because I'm focused on kaupapa Māori and focused on that, I was I reached out to you and I was like, what are we going to do in the Pacifica space, you yeah. know, for Pacifica lobbyists? What? Do you what corridor do you have? Have you given it any thought? Not now in terms of like your money because you're definitely busy, but in terms of like elevating our people more into these spaces. And I've just come um, to you today. Earlier today, I was with at Lloyd. Yeah, I was at their Paz PR, which is their Pacific Network for mm. um, Deloitte, and you know, speaking to the main partner there, uh, Lisa Tiai. She basically said that um, Deloitte had gone from 30 Pacific people in their whole business here in New Zealand to now 70 in a wow. very short space of time because they had been really, um, when Lisa came on, basically she championed it and yep. became they became really intentional yep. around their recruitment and hire. So for me, um, having gone into a space, especially in the finance and economics world mm. where uh, I was the only one at the tax <laughs> policy shop, <laughs> I think I still am. Um, basically, the kaupapa that I wanted to share with other financial, economic, Pacific professionals coming through is that there's a space for us. Yeah. And actually, we don't have to change the way that we mm -hmm. work and do things to fit a particular model. Mm. And I shared with those, um, with about 20 um, PASPL members today, and there were some online from the Solomons in Australia as well. I shared with them the story about how when I was going through my career, how I wanted to become a senior policy advisor. But there was basically because I had had children and because of the way that I would make my policy, I'd develop policy by talking to people throughout the department yeah. and talking to and confidence to people outside of it yeah. to come with a policy solution. Because that's how Pacific people do things. I, we collaborate. Yeah. We basically work with others to find the best solution. And so it's quite a robust solution that you come up with because it's been tested. But the way that the policy shop acknowledged critical thinkers were those that basically thought of the solution by themselves, <laughs> wrote a report, <laughs> and then came to a table and then had it basically you know, tested. Yeah. Yeah. That's not how I developed it. Yeah. So I really, um, at the time, those skills weren't recognised. And then I had a really amazing manager who um, had been in the department for a long time. And he basically said, you're just like me, bub, you know, um, people give us a problem, we go away, we find the solution quietly. 
but then when it comes to promotion time, we get overlooked mm. because we haven't done the big song and dance mm. about it. So the you know when my career sort of hit, hit sort of was sort of stalling because I re- we really wanted to make me a senior, that manager said to me, "I'm going to put it in my performance expectations for the year to make you a senior." So really? He, yeah. So he put his money where oh. his mouth was. You know, and I've never had a manager That's like that. leadership. Yeah, Whoa. huge leadership. And then, unfortunately, as we worked throughout that year, the goalpost shifted because the the man, all the the group of managers decided, oh no, we're not going to do this promotion round in October. We're going to do it in January. Mm. And initially, I was when my uh, my manager told me, mm. I was just like, oh, okay, that seems all right. And then it dawned on me, it's just like, no shit. I'm a sole income earner for a family of 10. Mm. If I have to wait another, you know, six months for mm. a promotion, um, that's a huge financial strain yeah. on my family when I'd basically been really loyal to yeah. this unit and was trying to get promoted. So that afternoon, I basically went and saw the vacancies on our intranet. Um, I found that one particular area of IRD, which was the service delivery arm, we're looking for um, solicitors. I rang the manager because, again, as a Pacific person, we make connections, right? Yeah, yeah. I rang the manager and I said, oh, I see you've got some roles going. She's like, meet me downstairs at 3 o'clock. <laughs> so we went downstairs <laughs> for a cup of tea and she's just like, okay, when you get interviewed, you'll get this. I want this. I want this. And you'll need to prepare for a case. So oh, hopefully I don't get her in trouble. But basically, she was just like, we want you. Yeah. You have all the skills that we want. Yep. And so um, I shifted. Amazing. And that's pretty much what I left with this these, this group of Deloitte, mm. um, you know, people coming through, which is basically you don't have to change the yeah. way that we do things, that we work out solutions, just to fit a box. Mm. And actually, if anything, the way that we've done things as a Pacific community, as it's the same with Tangata Whenua, right. the way that we do things around collaboratively working with others, those are the skills now mm. that people absolutely want. Yeah. So... Boom for us. Yeah. <laughs> Boom. Boom. <laughs> do you lead? Do you do you find yourself leading more and more um, as a minister in that way too? Um, or is I it harder I, in the they, structures? They don't kind of for me. Minister Barb is the same Barb MP. Mm. You know, if I again, it's, it comes back to that you can't wear different masks. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> earlier today, I had a. Um, it was the. Uh, Tangata Moana Media Funnel. It's the Aye. first time all the different media groups, specific media groups, had come together. And I and my team, and, and you know what this is like, Holly. The team, um, the department makes you a speech. Yeah. Then the speech goes through the political office. The yeah. precinct changes it. <laughs> and then this morning, as I was there, and I was kind of listening to the listening to the kopapa, listening to the talanoa, I was just like, I can't use the speech. <laughs> You know, I can't use the speech in a room full of media broadcasters, Pacific media broadcasters, journalists, you know. Of my people. I know. Neva Retamanu was there. I was just like, oh, my gosh, Neva, you know, Mamara. Legend. Uh, I know. And Lisa Taoma was there. And I was just like, John Paul. And I was just like, I can't use this stuff. So I just put down my notes and just basically said there's, you know, my nervousness around presenting to them is um, because they're media. Mm. And they're they're storytellers. And they're going to be able to see right through it. So I said, I'm just going to speak from my heart and be genuine and talk to you about the challenges I'm facing today and how they reflect as well the challenges that media have. So, yeah, there's no sort of difference between minister, yeah. minister MP because actually the way that you conduct yourself 
both as a person, mm. then as a member of parliament, should be reflected as a minister because it's too hard to be anything else. Yeah, yeah. What What are you thinking about in the lead up to the election? What are the main things that you're thinking about right now? If we, we're not separating those two people, is there key things that are on your radar? Yeah, it's um, tight. It's going to be really yeah. tight. Um, obviously, I've got my team. <laughs> I got my team, you know, and, and I'm confident we can mm-hmm. take it through. Um, but the main thing, like, for me is trying to balance now as a minister, I have a responsibility to to all of Aotearoa yeah. and the portfolios that I lead. Yeah. At the same time, I've got my, my electorate of mana of 70,000 people that yeah. I'm going to need to basically um, uffy again to Aye. say, vote for me, vote Aye. for me, you know. But I knew that when I got elected um, in October 2020, mm. that actually my next campaign for 2023 started the next day. Yeah. If you are not in the electorate, if you're not out and about from day one, people remember. Yeah. You should not be turning up in year three <laughs> to a new place, be like, hey, I'm your local MP. <laughs> people see right through yeah, that cucker, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know 100%. and so um the election the campaign for me as a as an electorate mp started on day one mm. and that's what i hold on to you know and, and again um when i'm out and about across the country i'm always thinking of home yeah. and i'm always relating it back to you know what's good for for mana is good for the rest of the country as well mm. so um it's a really um, it is a difficult time to balance that, um, and that, that's what's on the top of my mind at the moment. But, um, man, I just can't wait to campaign full time. Yeah, I yeah, really yeah. can't. When does that happen? Like, when is so time? the pre-election period starts July the 14th. Okay. So um, that's when all the different rules kick in. You yeah. know, you can't promote sort of things without having an authorization yeah, statement, yeah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Um, and then the House rises at the end of August, mm-hmm. so that's when Parliament stops. So really, you're going to see it just really kick in from yeah. September, and that's to the rest of the country as well. They're going to really see the campaign. But you'll see now with mainstream media, mm-hmm. you know, the campaign's already started, yeah. right? It's sort of uh, this failure, that failure, this failure, <laughs> that failure, you know, and, and this policy, that policy. But ultimately, if we're not out there with the people and, and talking within our own areas and across Aotearoa, then, you know, the people will tell us in October. Mm. Do you, because one of the things is like, you know, they're all MPs when you're campaigning, it's like every day, like era, era, every day, every day. Do you ever get to take a break or do you just like lay it all out? You're just like, nah. No. And, and that's life as an MP, yeah. right? I mean, I mean, you'll know when we worked in a ministerial office, the only time that politicians actually get a break is Christmas and New yeah. Year's. And you take a solid, you know, solid three weeks, turn the phone off, just be with your whanau. Mm. And that is the only time you really mm. get. But, you know, I mean, I feel like I'm campaign ready because basically what I've been doing has been campaigning from day one. Yeah. And so, um, you know, today, for example, I've got, I've had three, major, I've got three major speeches, still got one after this. Oh my God. I've had three events, you yeah. know, and that's, um, but that's. That's the privilege yeah. and the responsibility we have because people want to see us. People want to talk to us. People mm-hmm. want us to understand what their issues are. So um, I'm ready for it. I'm really yeah. looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I saw on your social media, you... Which one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that secret one that you had. No, no, no. <laughs> Jokes, there's no secret. No, there's <laughs> um, that our very first guest that we had on the podcast... 
who is wahine toa hard, and I've got a lot of time for Deputy Prime Minister Carmel Spilloni. You recently spent time with her, and yep. she got what I know to be tamoko, mm. but that's not in your... In our Pacific. Yeah, yeah. I, can you talk about that? And also, what is it called again? Yeah, so um, Carmel uh, just this week got her malu. Malu. Yeah, so had her malu card, you know, like tātātou. So uh, a malu is uh, for a female. It's um, on their thigh, so mm. it sort of covers sort of just below the knee mm. to just around, just below the hip. Mm. And yeah. it is through, um, a tr- she did it traditionally with Leo Favour, um, which is the gark mm. girl. And Carmel, for about five years, had been um, considering this. She said that um, she knew that if she was going to get a tattoo, it had to be a malu mm. first. And for her, the timing was right because it's Matariki. Um, She's the Deputy Prime Minister, you know, our most senior Pacific leader, Mm. you know, within our country at the moment. And so she she actually raised it. Uh, We were on the Pacific mission in May and she's like, oh, I'm thinking of getting my malu. And then I was just like, yeah, I'll get mine too. (laughs) And then then I chickened out. (laughs) But just, you know, that, that initial like, yeah, I can do it. But actually, um, to get your malu done, it's quite a, it's a, one, it's a sacred time. So um, we started it in the morning with prayer. So I got to Carmel's house um, just before 6.30 in the morning. We had lotu at 7.30, um, basically to bless and open the process. Um, The tafunga, um, uh, the Aofaiva, had actually um, come over and the power was turning off at 8 8 a.m. So we did, she didn't have any power in her house from 8 till 5.30, which was great. No distractions. Yeah. That's what she said. So the timing was right. And then so um, he started the gar around just after 8 a.m. And then she finished um, about six hours later. Wow. So uh, for me as, um, you know, as her sister and colleague, yeah. you know, um, me and uh, our other Pacific female MPs, we cleared our diaries, mm. which is huge. Mm. Yeah. To clear a diary is huge. So we cleared the diary and I was, um, we were with her right throughout the day, you know, just basically um, singing, mm. um, massaging her, just basically talking to her, keeping her company as this whole process, because it's painful. Yeah. And it's the traditional way with the owl. And with the which is the the teeth, and then with the gar, which is where they're tapping it. It's not um, it's not with the gun. Yeah. So it's you basically are piercing the skin, Aye. and filling it with ink. So yeah, come so Kamal had that done. We're so proud of her. Aye. And there was quite an, a, a sort of a, an emotional time just as she'd finished her first leg, and it's sort of there was a shift in the mood of the the room, and we could feel it, and I was just like, oh man. I was crying, Carmel mm. was crying, everyone else was crying, but yet no words were shared, right. but you could feel the, the wider mm. shift. And then as she finished that 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 first leg, you know, she stood up and she, and she was emotional because she saw the room was full of people who were there to support her in her journey. Right. So, yeah, uh, it's a beautiful ceremony to have been a part of. And um, as much as Carmel was, she said, as much as I tried to peer pressure you, Barb. <laughs> Um, for me, I wasn't ready, Aye. and I think part mm. of it is to make sure that my husband is also mm. ready because there is a lot of um, care that's required afterwards. Um, so I know one day it will, will happen, Aye. but um, for me, the timing wasn't quite right. And actually, after Carmel had finished both her legs and we were in her room just having a little, um, you know, just talking to her, making sure she was all right, she was saying, you know what, bub, 
I don't think I could have handled it emotionally if you did it at the same time too, you know, and it, and it is quite emotional. Right. So it's a real privilege to be a part of it and, um, uh, you know, just love and care us for our sister. Yeah. What what chord at all did they tell? So did for, have- um, so as uh, uh, little favour said, it's the fianganga. So he said fianganga in the Samoan culture is um, the equivalent is called covenant and mm. it's a covenant between a brother and a sister. So basically the brother is the protector and the sister is the guider. And basically what had happened is, is that when the missionaries came over, the fianganga changed. So the the spiritual, the sister, actually went to the, the priests and the pastors and oh, the reverends. They became kind of the, the, the fianganga bit. And then the, the brother um, was still there oh, because right. under you know Christianity, uh, women are subordinate to the oh, men. Right. So it was still kind of there. But for um, Little Favour, he is of one of the two tofungas or the houses of tattoo, basically, um, practitioners. Wow. The other one is Suruape. And for three generations, uh, Little Favour had, for three generations, his family was not garring the cacao mm-hmm. uh, because they had stopped their craft. So he had to cross over into the Suruape family mm. to learn the craft to now be his own tofunga and his work is amazing and I say that also because he's from my same village <laughs> but for him it was as he explained it at the end when the, we did the samanga so the samanga is the the last part of the process when when everyone had been done because it was just it was Carmel for her malu and then it was Mary her daughter-in-law mm. Kieran Meredith and Teresa Ngobi they did their hand so because you do it in you do it in pairs yeah. the, the tattoo so basically at the Samanga, Carmel uh, gets cov- her her legs get covered in turmeric and coconut oil. And that's to to recognize how we used to traditionally uh, basically anoint our dead right. as sort of a reference to her ancestors. Right. He then cracked an egg on top of her head as a reborn. She was reborn. And then said the Fenganga was basically reinstating that covenant for the sister brotherly. Um, Alofa and basically bringing that back for her and so now from here Carmel you know she said in her closing comments to everybody it's now the responsibility for her to learn her language mm. and to be stronger in her culture that's basically guiding her to that's the next phase for her Kilda. yeah that's interesting what you said about the turmeric and the coconut oil oh, because mm. I was watching her um doing the dance I don't know Siva, yeah. so at the end we do a taolunga so taolunga uh, literally means to put on top so when there is it's uh, when a house is being built and they thatch the roof yeah yeah that's the dance that you do so it's a oh. it's a, a celebratory dance yeah so Carmel did her taolunga yeah. at the end of it and you know as you would have seen like some of the footage and um, there was a number of us around yeah. her dancing with her yeah, yeah. and wow the process because I got my tamuko with the gun yeah. versus that Ooh. like she was so malosi or strong she had kaha man <laughs> 100% oh my gosh so you've got you're doing another speech tonight yes I am launching the the vaka for the dawn raid stories so the vaka is going to be going across the country to collect uh, the stories of our Pacific people from the Dawn Raids mm. time so that we have an, uh, a written account 
of the histories from that time. So that was part of the apology, the Dawnblade apology. So um, I'm launching that tonight in Greylin at the Afakasa Church. Wow, like yeah, that's massive. It's so cool. Do you ever reflect on the stuff? And because my heart gets heavy sometimes mm. when I think about this stuff, and I go, "Man, I can't believe like we actually have to do." You know, like that that happened. Yeah, and and, and as some will know, it re- happened quite recently as yeah. well. You know, some of it, and there's been a moratorium on that at the moment. Um, it's a different time, right? Mm. And my family never really talked about it mm. at all. Um, I actually learned about the Dawn Raids at university. Mm. And then quite recent, um, because of the Dawn Raids apology, one of my uncles shared his story of basically mm. working at a shoe factory and then being taken away from work, not being able to say goodbye to his family and being put on a plane and sent back to the islands. You know, And um, for them, there was a lot of shame. There was a lot of ma with mm. it. But basically... Um, you know, what we intended through the apology was, one, a genuine apology Aye. for those wrongs, but um, two was now how do we capture this part of history yeah. and then how do we learn from it so it doesn't happen again. Aye. So it was incredibly disappointing that it happened quite recently. Yeah. And, you know, now we've been alerted to it because it's a very, it is a very operational thing that, you know, as you know, ministers don't know Aye. all of that stuff. Mm-mm. But, you know, once it happened, then we basically had given some very clear suggestions <laughs> to the, the CE right. of what we think should happen. Yeah, yeah. But it is, it is, there's a lot of my my, and that's something that I think becomes quite personal for, yeah. for every person and every individual to work through. Mm-hmm. It's really important for these stories to be captured for that future generation, right? What would you say to young Pacifica right now who are thinking about politics as a career, would you recommend it? Would you not? Would you say go do tax law? Like, where would you, where would you send them? Um, do life first. Yeah. You know, um, the best, I reckon, politicians or the best leaders bring with them an experience that no one else can, yeah. um, can share. Right. You know, um, Live a little bit, mm. you know, um, get different experiences because there are so many different pathways to Parliament. Mm. There are so many different yeah. roads to get there. I mean, my my journey was my journey. Right. But, um, yeah, live a life a little bit because actually from those lessons that you learn, yeah. that is what will help you when you come to that mm. place to, one, withstand it. It's yeah. a tough place, but also to help when it comes to designing the policy that you think will help other people. Mm. So we're going to wrap up shortly and I'm going to do the bowl of bravery, but (laughs) I'm going to ask you a question now that I have to, we have to, I have to ask you, I have to ask you this. And especially as you're my friend, I feel comfortable being able to ask you. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Holly, Holly, that's the wine hour later. (laughs) (laughs) What is one thing that people don't know about you? That you wish they knew. Um, what's one thing? I straighten my hair. Oh, okay. This yeah. Sounds, okay. You know Talk to me about this. Man. Come <laughs> you on. Know, it sounds really bad, but so many people think that my hair is straight. My hair is so afro. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> It actually okay. is your mate. I never knew that. It naturally is, and that's because I've got Solomon Island blood too. <laughs> So my great grandfather, he was still in the Islander. 
But um, yeah, people don't realize I straightened my hair and it's just like, it's so superficial. <laughs> no, um, but I just do because it's actually easier to manage. Right. Yeah, when it's like kind of, you know, all natural, it's all over the place and it's just like, oh, get it out of my face. Yeah, yeah. Is yeah, it like, yeah. what kind of, cur- is it like cur- wavy just buffy. or just buffy? Buffy. Do you, buffy. do you have a like weapon of choice? Like yeah, a- yeah, straightener. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, is yeah. It, I've got a, um, do you have a GHD, a Cloud9? Like no, a, it's a, a uh, I think it's a Cloud9. Cloud9? Yeah, yeah. It's not a GHD. It's, no, no, it's a Queen. Coin, coin, K-U-E-N-E, that one. Don't know oh, okay. Yeah, it's one of them. Yeah. So my uh, my my um, hairdresser that I've used for like nine years. Yeah, so it's I like get, that's the one. Yeah, that's the one. That, this one that she uses in her in her salon. Oh. So yeah, so I do that. Um, but sounds really bad. Kind of as I'm getting older because I'm over forty. <laughs> um, your body changes, <laughs> and and I'm actually really in tune with my hormonal changes, having had so many children. Yeah. Um. But um, I'm noticing my my hair is starting to change as well. Yeah. So um, apparently that's kind of something you see in perimenopause. Okay. That's for another podcast. Yeah. Perimenopause. (laughs) Yeah, I don't want to scare anybody. (laughs) But um, yeah, so my hair is starting to change. But that's one thing that most people don't realize is that I straighten my hair. And that's just to manage it better. And I've done it for years. Oh, my God. That's a real cool tidbit, especially wahine to wahine. Like, because... I think about that stuff all the time. Like, yeah. I straighten my hair. My hair's this weird, like, has no curl, just yeah, crazy. I, I, I think one day it'll eventually become all natural, <laughs> and I'm hoping that I'd be, take on my Chinese side because my other great-grandfather what? was Chinese, and my grandmother had this beautiful, thin, straight Chinese hair all her life. Is there anywhere you don't fuck up it to? Uh, I feel like that. No, you've even got Portuguese. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I should do one of those DNA tests, you know, it'll be everywhere. But yeah, so my Chinese, my grandma, who's Chinese Samoan, yeah. yeah, she had the most beautiful fine hair and she didn't actually start to go grey until she was like in her 70s. I'm starting to get greys now. I think that's the stress of the job. Right. Um, but yeah, I'm hoping that as I sort of age more gracefully, it'll just become more sanger or Chinese-like. Those <laughs> wahine who have like full grey hair. Oh, I Rock love it. it. Yeah, 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 I love it. I'm I'm not gonna dye my hair. No, nah. I've decided. I'm just yeah, gonna cool. let it happen. I love that. Like yeah. then they and they have it, and it's like, yes. I just don't have time. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. I'm straightening my hair. <laughs> as well as being a minister and oh, yeah, a mum of eight and yeah, all these yeah. other things. Yeah. <laughs> okay, bowl of bravery time. So okay. I don't know if you want to have some tea before you. Okay, maybe I'll just. <laughs> sure, it's just tea in here. <laughs> We are not spiking a minister's no, drink. Not. Okay. <laughs> so, bowl of bravery. Everyone who listens to our podcast or watches our podcast knows that this is all about kind of weird, odd questions. Oh, God. And we give the opportunity for our guests to pull a question out. No one has not answered a question yet. And then you read the question out and then you answer it. Kapai. Kapai. This feels like it's been worn a bit. <laughs> yeah, rigging it. <laughs> Is there anything you wished would come back into fashion? Oh. That's hard because everything keeps coming back into fashion. <laughs> and nomads yeah. should never come back into fashion. They're called nomads, they're old school shoes. Just look them what up. Are they? Yeah, don't don't worry. Oh, about them. okay. They're the most ugliest school shoes. Okay, I'm absolutely gonna look them up now. <laughs> um, 
And I was going to say, like, the first thought that came to my head was, like, MC Hammer pants, right? The big balloon pants. Yeah. But I've seen them come back into fashion. Absolutely. And they're comfy as. Yeah. So I, I don't think I can answer this. Nah, that's not I an like acceptable answer. Okay. Friend to friend. I'm not going to let you leave. <laughs> Unless that... you want to pull out another question. No, let me pull out another question. Because okay. uh, I can't answer that one. Yeah. And I'm genuine about it. Because everything that okay. I think is fashionable I, comes I, back. Yeah. All right. Take two. What is the weirdest conspiracy theory you have ever heard? Okay. You know what? This is the one where um, the Declaration of Independence, uh, the you know, the Maori one, um, basically, therefore creates a jurisdiction where people from overseas can come and run the Nuremberg trials. <laughs> that is the weirdest one I have heard. And I only heard that this week. No, I think I saw it on stuff. Oh. <laughs> but basically that's the, the guy that was overseas because I remember being on a street corner meeting oh. in Kapiti because I did street yeah. corner meetings. And this person came up to me with a letter and basically talked about these Nuremberg trials and I was just like, What the are you talking about? God, it wasn't one of my parents, was it? No. <laughs> It was in Romati, not just in front of the And um, there was a nurse there. She said yeah. she was a nurse, and she was just going hammer and tongs with him about how why the COVID vaccination was important. I was just like, okay, guys, we're just gonna leave this for a meeting. But um, that's the first time I had heard about these Nuremberg trials, and then mm. it came obviously with the protest happening. Basically, yeah. the Nuremberg trials were um, the return of those sort of uh, the Nazi, um, you know, basically the people that had done all those bad things, yep, the Nazis, right. and basically doing trialing them afterwards. So for war crimes. So apparently there is no jurisdiction across the world that could do these Nuremberg trials, but basically the conspiracy theorists reckon because uh, Marty signed the Declaration of Independence here, it has created a jurisdiction whereby they can run these trials. Okay. Okay, that so boom, people just that need one. to get yeah, yeah. Matt, that yeah. big tick for answering that question. Also, a big like uh -uh, as to what's going on. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so that is the weirdest one I've heard. Amazing! Yeah. Oh my god. Okay, thank you so much for spending time with us and coming on Pleasure. the podcast. If people want to get in touch with you, where should they go? Um, to your secret? <laughs> to my secret page, <laughs> <laughs> Holly Bennett. <laughs> Um, you can find me on Facebook, I, Barb Edmonds or Barbara Edmonds of Mana. I think I'm on Instagram as well, Barb mm. Edmonds Mana. Um, but also, actually, if there is a real like issue that you need help with, Barbara.Edmonds at parliament.govt.nz. Yeah, kia ora. Yeah, okay. that's where you can find me. I'll be sending an email. Yeah, not Twitter, because uh, I don't really like Twitter. Yeah, it's, it's not a bit scary. But I'm there to, you know, look at everybody after <laughs> stuff. But, but yeah, don't send me a message on Twitter, because I don't really check it that much. Yeah. Um, I hope that you have an amazing time Thank at you. the event tonight. Big momentous event. And again, just made to you. Thank you for being absolutely fantastic. Wahine, a great minister and a really good friend to me i'm really really grateful for your time i'm proud of you girl oh, you know you were always different when you were in the beehive <laughs> different in the sense that you were your genuine self mm. you know there was a certain type <laughs> that was in the beehive at that time and she's um, saying that i was noisy and i'm really noisy we no, all know not that. Noisy. <laughs> um but you know i remember Again, seeing you with a with a potty door crossfit hoodie, right. you know, uh, driving a beamer with your initials, <laughs> you know, 
girl can wear a potty to a hoodie and drive a beamer. Uh, that's pretty inspirational. <laughs> so, um, it's a whole lot going on. <laughs> and incredibly proud of you that you've basically been able to create what you've been able to create um, by being yourself. So let's go. Let's go. Reheko. Kia ora, everyone. Thank you so much for dropping in this episode. Remember, like, subscribe, and we will catch you on the next one. Kakite.